0: Today we uh, wrap up our series on our five priorities and um, so last Sunday we talked about cultivating authentic relationships and in that spirit of authenticity I want to begin today's message by letting you know on the front end this one that we're going to talk about our fifth priority today is the one that in my opinion we need the most work it's the one uh, that, that, that we're not doing as well as I'd like for us to although I think we've made some strides there and I'll tell you why Uh, as we get to those uh, here in a minute. In fact, we can just go ahead and put those priorities up if you want to have those up so you can remember what they are. Um, Our our fifth one that we're going to be talking about today is that we challenge each other to deeper commitment. And from the beginning, I don't think this was built into the culture of our church, how it should have been. And you want to guess who gets the responsibility for that? That's me. Um, And that's because Of all the five things that we talk about, this is one that can be the most difficult for me personally. And so it's something that personally I've been focused on for several years now of of moving in the right direction. And I think our church is beginning to move the right way. Um, But I just want to be very honest on the front end and say, church, we need to do better here. And we're going to talk about how today and uh, and how we go about that. Uh, But as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, it, it might be interesting just to do a little bit of... This, this is my perspective. This, I, I didn't you know, put this out to a vote. This is just me and what I think. But I'm going to go through each of the five and say, here's how I think we're doing as a church. Okay? This isn't necessarily going to be true of you individually. There may be areas where personally you're not doing as well as I think our church is or vice versa, where you may be doing quite well in an area where our church maybe needs a little bit more improvement uh, but we're so used to the five-star ratings, right? We see that all over the internet. So we're going to give our, I'm going to give some, some of the, the ratings on a five-star rating schedule. How are we doing? Uh, starting with the very first one, which is we invited others to Christ and to church. And I think we have three out of five at this point. And really, if I could get real specific, I think we're four out of five on inviting people to church and two out of five on inviting others to Christ, and so somewhere in the middle is where that three-star comes from. I think we need to focus more on sharing the gospel uh, and continue to grow in the others. And then um, the, the, the next three areas, you know, we talk about relating to our community and culture, applying the Bible to real life. And then last week we talked about cultivating authentic relationships. And in my mind, all three of those areas, I would give us a four out of five-star. I think, I think our church does well in each of those areas. By the way, all of these are four because I don't think you ever get to a point where you can't improve, right? So there's always room for growth. But I think we're doing well in those other areas. And then that leaves us with our topic for today. Challenge each other to deeper commitment. How are we doing there? And I think we're at two and a half Um, we've made some progress in this area because we focused on it a little bit more in recent years, but we still have a little ways to go. Uh, We went through as a a staff and some some of our leadership in the church, I don't know if it was three years ago or so, somewhere in that range, three or four years ago, we went through a fantastic book, which I'd highly recommend, by the way, those of you in the um, business world or whatever, wherever you work on a team. It's called Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, who puts out a lot of great leadership material. Um, and he, he walked through what he calls the five common dysfunctions of a team. And in fact, we have a little slide. Let's put, go ahead and put that up as well, just so you can, can kind of see what some of those are. Uh, interesting to see is five dysfunctions and they kind of build on each other. But one of the things that we did as a, as a staff is we went around the table and said, where do you think, uh, what's, what's our strong suit as a church? What is the area that we need the most growth in? And it was interesting, almost unanimously, was avoidance of accountability was the one that we said we needed the most growth. And what it means by that is... Accountability, peer-to-peer accountability. This isn't a boss holding your feet to the fire. This is coworkers holding one another's feet to the fire. That that we you know are there basically what it what it is is we challenge each other to deeper commitment. Right now we're talking about that in the in the personal growth, spiritual growth side, but even in a work environment, that that idea of challenging one another in a healthy way uh, is one that we said yeah we're probably weakest in that area, and it's no surprise then that we would identify that as a church, this is an area where we need the most growth. And so I, I think over the last few years, we've, we've been headed in the right direction there because we've identified that and have been more intentional about it. And so I think we're moving in the right way, but we still have room to grow. So let's open our Bibles today to Ephesians chapter four because uh, I, I want us to look at a passage in there again, as would be the case with any of the five priorities. There are a lot of different places we could go, but this is one where I see Paul challenging the church in Ephesus to grow deeper in their faith. And so we're going to use this as our, our guide today. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness And holiness. And so this this passage here comes in the context of right before that, Paul talking about spiritual growth, you know, that we will all things grow. And he specifically makes the point that Christ is the head over all of this. And so we start there with understanding that Christ is in charge, Christ is the head of the church, and then it's our job uh, then to grow. And the book of Ephesians, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, in the very beginning, it is addressed to the saints, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so he's speaking here very clearly, saying, look, I'm talking to you who are faithful, who know the Lord, who are seeking to grow. And then he goes into the first three chapters of Ephesians, has to be some of the best theology in all the Bible. I mean, it's just rich theology chapters one two and three and then you get to chapter four and basically what paul does is is he says okay based on all this theology that we just talked about here's how you live your life here's how you as we would say apply the bible to real life right here here's how you put this into practice You live it out this way, and as in the passage that that we just said here, he says that, that you don't live as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles here is talking in terms of those who don't know God. Of course, there were Gentile believers. That's not who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the equivalent for us in our terminology of an unbeliever, somebody who doesn't follow Christ. What he's saying here is those of us who do follow Christ, our lives should not look the same as unbelievers. There there should be a difference because we have been made new in Christ. We have been transformed. If anyone is in Christ, a person is a new creation. Old is gone, the new has come. So then we we look different as a result. And that's why he says what he does. In verse 17, he starts by saying, I tell you this or I just, I say this to you is what that means. And then it says, I insist on it in the Lord. Um, that, That word insist means to bear witness. It's the Greek word martyromai, which you may recognize the word martyr that comes from that. A martyr is somebody who bears witness, gives their life. It is a a legal term to call someone into a court of law uh, to to bear witness. So it is a, a solemn charge here. The point that he's making is when I'm talking to you about not living like the Gentiles do, this isn't just some passive suggestion. He's saying, I'm really calling to you. I'm insisting on this. I want you to understand that this is a, a, a solemn thing. This is important. And so in other words, what he's doing here, and this is our, our first main idea of what we need to do for one another, is, is he's calling them to a higher standard. So we, we call each other to a higher standard. That's what we do. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we help to call each other to a higher standard. Now, we have a disadvantage in the culture in which we live here, because we are, are so, we can be so individualistic and you know we live in a culture where people fly banners you know on their pickup trucks and in front of their homes that say things like don't tread on me and come and take it and essentially what that's saying is, "You leave me alone, you know you mind your business I'll, I'll mind my business and I dare you to test me and that's kind of the mindset of a lot of us in the culture in which we live and yet How do we, in that type of an environment, how do we step into one another's lives and say, no, the Bible says that that we are to call each other out, that we are to challenge one another to deeper commitment. It's not easy, but just because it isn't easy doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. So we have a responsibility to challenge each other to deeper commitment. That's what we do. As members of the family of God. Makes me think about Proverbs 27, 17. A verse that I'm sure you've heard before. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's what he's talking about here. For iron to sharpen iron, it needs to rub against the, 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 the two pieces being sharpened. They're going to rub against one another in an abrasive manner. right? If the iron had feelings... I'm sure it would say it doesn't feel comfortable to be sharpened. And yet, there's purpose behind it. By sharpening the iron, it's being prepared to be more effective in what it's supposed to do. I have uh, some, some knives at home. Uh, part of a, a little kitchen knife set that we got years ago. And, and uh, one of the things that I need to do on a regular basis is to sharpen those knives. And so regularly, I'll, I'll get out the little sharpening stick, you know, and I'm doing the, you know, and you can just, just, just imagine that, that sound of rubbing against one another, right? And, 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 and it's abrasive. It's a, it's a little bit uncomfortable. And yet what I find is after sharpening the knives, they work a whole lot better. They do what they were created to do. And when we sharpen one another, although it may feel a little bit abrasive at times, What we're doing is we're just helping one another function more the way God has designed us to function. We're helping each other to be more effective in what we were created to do. That really is the goal. I have a friend who uh, spends a decent amount of money on a personal trainer and 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 he tells me this. He says, you know, I know myself well enough to know that if I don't have someone to push me, I'm probably not going to either not going to work out or I'm not going to work out as hard as I should. And so he invests in somebody to come alongside and to help. Now, if you're going to do that, if you hire a personal trainer to help you get in better shape, do you expect that that person's going to come alongside you and just pat you on the back all the time and tell you you're doing wonderful and never challenge you in any way? You wouldn't expect that, right? You would expect that person, if you're loafing, then they're going to call you out on it. They're going to push you. They're not just going to tell you what you want to hear, but they're going to tell you what you need to hear. That's what you pay that person for. You see, there, there would be something really wrong with a scenario where somebody says, for example, you know, I, I need to, to, to lose 100 pounds, so I'm going to hire a trainer, and I'm going to begin working out doing all this. And you hire a trainer, and you follow their regimen, and then six months later, you haven't lost a pound, and you're no healthier than you were when you started out. Something would be wrong with that picture, right? And I have to tell you, there is something wrong with the picture of us as believers if we're not being conformed more to the image of Christ. If we're not getting in spiritual shape more, something's wrong with that. And you know, we are, are, are invited and even commanded to come alongside one another to help push each other so that we can grow, so that we can uh, get into better shape. And there's a key word here in all of this that, that really holds all this together. It's the word, it's a little Greek phrase, "in incurio, which means in the Lord. You'll see that throughout this. In the Lord. And what he's talking about here is the fact that, that those of us who are in the Lord, we're, we're part of the same family. And so the second thing I want us to see today is that being in Christ gives us permission to challenge one another. That's where it comes from. See, I, I hope this goes without saying, but we're not talking about you know, just calling people out that, that aren't members of the family of God. That, that's different. That's a different situation entirely. That To call someone out uh, on, on their behavior that isn't God-honoring and say, well, you're not honoring God when they don't belong to Him in the first place, that would be like disciplining someone else's child. Although, can I be honest with you? I have been tempted to do that on more than one occasion. Anybody with me on that? You're in the grocery store or wherever it is, and you see a kid just going berserk, and the parents are doing nothing about it. You know, I'm telling y'all, that stresses me out probably more than anything in the world. I've seen kids scream at their parents. I've seen kids hit their parents. I've seen kids take things and throw them on the floor, and oh my gosh, my blood pressure just kind of goes to the roof. I want to step in and provide some correction for that child, but I have never done that. You know why? It's not my place. It's not my child. Now, obviously, if that child was, you know, a harm to himself or somebody else, that's a different story. But we don't typically step in to someone else's family, especially if we don't know them, right? We're not talking here about trying to provide correction for those that don't know Christ. I mean, God will handle that. We pray for them. We share the gospel with them. And we let God work on their hearts. But it's different when they're part of the family. When we are in Christ together, we're all part of the same family. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about this a little bit. and, And it's speaking in the context of church discipline here. And that's not necessarily the specific path I want to go down. But I just want you to see the difference between how we... Uh, challenge those in the church versus how we deal with those outside the church. So let me read, starting in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning people of this world who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Now listen to this next little phrase. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. See, it's clear here that he's, he's making a very... Uh, Clear distinction between those in the church and those outside the church. And what he's saying is, look, if somebody outside the church is living in an immoral way, that's, that's not on you as members of the body of Christ to, to try to discipline that person. God will handle that situation. But if you have someone who claims to be a brother or sister and they're living in this way and as, what, what were the things talked about? You know, sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, slandering, drunk, uh, drunkard, swindler, all these types of things. If somebody fits one of those qualities, those of us within the church have a responsibility to, to help call that out. Now, I, I think it's important, too, to say that Paul is assuming here that some steps have been taken before this point. This isn't one of those deals where it's like, ooh, I saw somebody do something wrong. I'm going to go to him and kick him out of the church. That's not his point. Okay. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it gives some clear instruction on, on how we handle that it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. So there's a clear pattern There's somebody who is caught in a, a repeated pattern of, of sin here, that those who are in a close relationship with the Lord, now nobody's perfect, but they're talking about your spiritually mature and, and your relationship with God is in a healthy place. Those are the people that are to go to them and it says, and restore them gently. So you extend grace, you extend forgiveness, but you also address the issue. What we see in 1 Corinthians 5 is what happens if the person is unresponsive. What do you do if somebody is unrepentant? They have no desire to change, they don't care, they don't acknowledge their own sinfulness, they just want to continue down this path. And in 1 Corinthians 5, what we see is he says, you need to not associate with those people. His point is this, we treat people differently who are inside the church versus those who are outside the church. And that, by the way, is one of the reasons why church membership matters so much. Because when we commit to being a a member of a local body of Christ, when you commit to church membership, essentially what you're doing is you are saying, I am placing myself under the, the watch care but also potentially under the discipline of this body of Christ. that I'm, I'm, I'm saying that we're in this together. I'm, by becoming a member of a church, you're saying, I'm giving you permission to push me and challenge me. And that might sound like kind of a weird thing to say that's one of the benefits of church membership, but I'm telling you it is, because... We have a different level of accountability to one another when we have said we're committed together to be a part of this local body of Christ. I know I view things differently for those who are members of our church compared to those that aren't. I mean, there, there are four things that we ask our church members to commit to in order to be a part of Gateway. It's worship, grow, serve, and impact. Come to church, be involved in a small group, find a place to serve and give so that our impact on our community and on the world for the gospel can spread four things that, that we say that we're going to do and I, I have to tell you there are a lot of people that are part of our church that don't do those four things but if I become aware of that and it's somebody who is a church member then I'm gonna try to go to that person or somebody will seek to go to that person number one to just say is everything okay you know, because that might be an indication that there's some type of ministry need or something that's come up in that individual's life that we don't know about. And it's an opportunity to step in and, and minister in love. That's the first priority. But it may be that that person is just kind of you know, maybe falling off in some of the things that they need to be doing. And so we can come alongside to challenge and to say, we're going to push you. I'm going to tell you that, that I'm not nearly as likely to do that for somebody who's not a member of our church because that person has not said, I, I'm wanting to put myself under the uh, watch, care, and discipline of this church. So those in the church versus those outside the church is a little bit different story. But we, as as members of the body of Christ, if you are in Christ, meaning that you have trusted in Jesus, you've given your heart to him, that means that we are part of the same family because I'm in Christ as well. And so those of us who are in Christ have this this responsibility to one another to help challenge each other and to push each other in our growth. And verse 18 gives us some really good uh, ways of looking at things to realize, okay, how do I know when I'm getting outside of those boundaries where I need to be? Verse 18 is describing how the Gentiles live, and this is what we are to avoid, but it says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Why? Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. it's the last thing I want to leave with you today. But challenging one another to deeper commitment guards against developing hard hearts. See, that, that's something that we're to watch for. That we don't develop hard hearts. When, when, when we do develop hard hearts, verse 19 The very next thing it says is, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. When our hearts become hard, we become less sensitive to things. Specifically to the conviction that the Holy Spirit would bring into our lives. Hardness means that we just don't feel things as much. Which, by the way, means that the level of sensuality that that we have to be involved in in order to get some rush for that gets higher and higher and higher as well. Because we're less and less sensitive made me think about one of the really dumb things that I used to do as a kid. But um, little boys want to appear to be tough, right? So as a little boy, one of the ways that I wanted to appear to be tough, I would take just a little stick pin, and I've got little places on my, on my hand where calluses have developed, right? Where they're really hard. And I would put that little stick pin through. I'd jab it through and show everybody the pin sticking through my hand, right? And I was tough. That's what I thought, <laughs> kind of foolish now looking back on it. But it didn't hurt. Why did it not hurt? Because that part is hard. When something gets hardened, you don't feel it. You don't have sensitivity like you would in another area of your life. So let me give you something. If you don't take anything else away today, take this away with you. This is, I think, important. A good way for us to determine whether we've lost sensitivity, whether our hearts have become hardened, is to ask this question. Do sinful... Attitudes and actions bother me more or less than they used to. Do those things bother me more or less than they used to? See, as we grow in our faith, when we step away from God in any area of our lives, we ought to be more sensitive to that. We ought to be quicker to recognize that and say, oh my goodness, I've stepped away. I need to come back. But what can happen is over time, we become hardened. We get used to certain things and and we're less sensitive to it. If you keep reading in verse 25 and following, it gives some great, just real specific areas. I I love this. I would encourage you to go back and maybe spend a little bit more time on this to, to do some evaluation, but... Areas where we can stray away from God that would be good to ask. Am I sensitive in these? Verse 25 talks about putting off falsehood and speaking truthfully to your neighbor. That's a good one. Not, I mean, maybe, maybe we may have a problem with just outright lying. I mean, that, that can be an issue, that can be a problem. But even beyond that, maybe more than just, you know, straight out just, you know, lie would be kind of just, you know, fudging the truth a little bit. Maybe not being totally honest, maybe just being you know, a little deceptive in the things that we say. And a good question is, am I convicted by that? If I'm not being completely honest and straightforward with people, am I convicted by that? The very next one, verse 26, I'm sure nobody has a problem with this one. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. What a great example of one to look at and say, okay, how sensitive am I in this area of, of dealing with my anger. When I start to, to, to become angry and it starts to lead me down, which by the way, it's a whole nother sermon. Anger itself is not a sin. It's how we deal with it. So in your anger, do not sin. But but if I start to deal with my anger in a sinful way, do I notice that real quickly? Or do I not notice it because I've, I've lost sensitivity? Kind of like that proverbial frog in the kettle, right? Where you just turn the heat up a little bit at a time, and next thing you know, you know the, the, the frog got boiled in and it's boiling and overflowing. But do I not even notice the anger starting to rise up until it just, just explodes and destroys things? Or are we sensitive enough to notice it little by little? And then verse 29, which you've probably heard me say before, is one of my least favorite verses in the Bible because it convicts me every time I read it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Here's one of the things I know about myself, is I have a tendency to be critical about people in my mind. And and that can come out in speech. Do not let any, that's a high standard, do not let any unwholesome talk, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. See, being aware of these very specific kinds of things, it gives us something to look at and say, okay, how am I doing here? The good thing about the speech one, verse 29, is that if I'm doing that, somebody else will hear it. See, a lot of these are internal. A lot of the sinful things we deal with are attitudes. They're internal. They're things that somebody else might not see, although they typically will probably, if they know us well. They'll, they'll see the evidence of, of us wrestling with those things. But if it's something like speech, words that come out of our mouths, that's very clear that somebody else can catch it and hopefully call us out on those things and say, you know, this is what I see. And that's what we ought to be doing. So how do we avoid it? Back to verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the good news is that when we come to faith in Christ, we are a new creation. We have a new nature in us. The bad news is that that old nature doesn't just go away entirely. It may get buried beneath the surface for a little while, but it's going to try to start popping up above the surface and... So we have to be aware of that. We have to be intentional about how we deal with it. And in Romans 13, it gives us uh, a great, to me, a great visual of how do I go about um, dealing with these types of things. It says, starting in verse 12, Romans 13, it says, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness... And put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Those are the kinds of things we've been talking about already in Ephesians 4. But listen to this last little sentence. Rather, okay, so this is what we should do. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. What do we do? We clothe ourselves with Christ. And I love that image because, I mean, just thinking about physically, just putting Jesus on to clothe ourselves, to cover over uh, all those things that that the old us, they want to get raised up. And guys, here's the deal. We need one another in order to do that. I said earlier that sometimes that can be a little bit abrasive. But I want to end by also pointing out the fact that it's not always the case. Sometimes for us to challenge one another is really just to be there to love one another and to help each other out. I got to see that a couple of different times uh, this week as uh, on consecutive nights, actually, as I was part of a couple of different groups. And um, Tuesday night, we're in Connect Group, and we're talking about the... the, the um, topic from the previous week which was cultivating authentic relationships and, and uh, I said well since we're being authentic one of the couples said here's what we're dealing with and going through a challenging situation uh, they happen to be um, connected to another church in our area and um, they said this is what's going on and, and what we're wrestling with small church and they're very integral parts of that and so we got to pray with, him, with them we got to circle up before we left and we all just kind of gathered in a circle and we prayed together and it was quite an encouraging time that we would not have had, had they not opened up to us. And then the very next night, we had a chance uh, a couple times a month, we get together as elders and we pray together when our elder body's going through a time of loss and grief and just to be able to, to, to pray with him and us to pray together and be able to share that together say, we're in this together. We, you know, we love you and we're here and that's a part of it too, right? It's not always just in your face. I'm just going to, you know, sometimes it, it just comes as an overflow of relationships and I can tell you this, if you're not cultivating those authentic relationships, you're not likely to challenge one another to deeper commitment either. Because the challenge comes in the context of love. And I was reminded on both of those occasions how blessed I am to be a part of a group where people are open with one another, where we can pray for each other. And here's the thing, I know that, that I'm going to need that too. I know that there are going to be times where I need people to, to kind of either be there to encourage me and to pray for me or even just to provide some correction. But we need to give each other permission to do that. So can we just agree together as a church body that we are giving one another permission to challenge us to grow deeper in our faith because we need it. We need to rely on each other. And even when it's not comfortable, it's something that that we absolutely must do. I said earlier, I think we're making progress in this, area, in this area as a church, but we still have a little ways to go. And so I just want to urge you to put yourself in a place where maybe you're having that difficult conversation with somebody or you're reaching out to somebody or, or you're having an open heart to receive that from somebody else. But I'm telling you, it's not going to happen until you have the relationships in place. So maybe the first step today is to get involved in a way that builds those relationships so that you can challenge others and receive that from others as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we need you first and foremost. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And Lord, we know that we need one another. And so right now I do pray, God, that that you will um, just give us the courage To open ourselves to each other, but also to challenge each other and to help each other grow. Because, Lord, our goal is to be more Christ-like. That's what we want. So I pray that you'd make that happen. And whatever's in the way, whatever obstacles there may be in our minds or schedules or whatever it is, I pray, Father, that you would remove those and, Lord, help us to take the steps necessary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.